Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to my sermon podcast. It is great to be back with you again. We are at, have just started a new sermon series here at Urban Village called Afterthoughts and Prayers, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but first, let me read the passage that uh, I'll be focusing on today. It comes from the book of Ruth in the uh, Older Testament in the Bible. And this is verse, uh, rather, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Hear these words. Now Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain and behind someone in whose sight I may find favor. She said to her, Go, my daughter. So she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Just then Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, To whom does this young woman belong? The servant, who was in charge of the reapers, answered, She is the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. So she came, and she has been on her feet from early this morning until now, without resting even for a moment. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that it is being reaped that is being reaped, and follow behind them. I have ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. So in worship uh, this Sunday at my particular site at Urban Village, I'm uh, glad that a friend of mine is going to be in worship. His name is Mike Bachman, and Mike started a uh, coffee shop slash new church slash uh, really innovative ministry in Dallas, Texas called Union uh, Coffee Shop. And uh, he's in Chicago and will be visiting. Uh, Mike contributed a little story to my book, Failing Boldly, uh, where I asked some colleagues of mine to share stories of failure. Uh, and uh, he wrote a particularly funny story, and I want to read the story to you as I sh- I'll, I'll be sharing it also on Sunday. So here's what Mike wrote. At least 15 to 20 law students from nearby Southern Methodist University studied on a daily basis at Union, the coffee shop and new church start that I lead. A couple of them even came to worship with us on Tuesday nights. Our law school customers and worship attendees were loyal, but only made up a fraction of how many we could connect with. We launched a big event to raise awareness about union on campus. We orchestrated a combination we were sure no law student could turn down. A panel of partners from nearby law firms, free Pabst Blue Ribbon and free peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We prepared for the multitudes and publicized like crazy. PBR, PBJ, and partners. Who could resist? Apparently the entire student body. The nearby homeless shelter got a lot of PB&J, and I was drinking PBR for months. Lesson learned. PBR pairs nicely with PB&J. You should try it. I loved this story on multiple levels. Uh, Church planters uh, probably can relate in some form or fashion. We have all tried things that didn't go particularly well. 
but I also like this because it ties into what I think Mike is trying to do at Union, and I think what other churches are trying to do too, and that is using food or coffee, and usually in the case of Mike's ministry, using food as a way to build community and introduce people to faith. But it takes an idea, and then it takes actually putting that into action. So that ties into this sermon series that I noted earlier called Afterthoughts and Prayers. And the reason for the title of this sermon series, you may have noticed, particularly in recent weeks, whenever a tragedy strikes, uh, there are lots of people who will go on social media and offer up thoughts and prayers for those affected. Uh, we saw it most recently with the shootings uh, in the school in Florida. And there seems to be a growing pushback or blowback from uh, or to these uh, wishes of thoughts and prayers. Uh, a lot of people I read, especially in the incident in Florida, uh, were criticizing those who were saying thoughts and prayers, saying thoughts and prayers are not enough. Uh, all you have to do is go through and read a, a fair number of tweets, especially as I was looking on Twitter of people who were um, pretty blunt, sometimes funny, uh, but always wanting to make the point that we need more than thoughts and prayers. So what does that mean? Now, I'm in the religion business, so I am not here today to criticize thoughts and prayers, especially prayers. Uh, we, uh, I believe that prayer can and does make a difference, but I think their point is well taken. What else? Do we just simply leave it to prayers? Do we just take a few seconds out of our day and say a silent prayer like, Lord, please help those affected. Lord, help something happen so that there are no more tragedies like this one. What else can we do? And that's what we want to focus on. What next? After we send our good thoughts, after we send our faithful prayers, then what? And so I want for us to begin to think about how we can live this out. There was a comic that I came across that I think encapsulates this pretty well. So last weekend at at my site at Urban Village, you notice there was no sermon because we instead went out into the community and had kind of an early Earth Day where we cleaned up in the neighborhood. I was walking to where we were going to start this. I noticed there were probably about a dozen people who were waiting outside the building. And I thought, oh, wow, this is great. People are early. But then I noticed that there were people who were dressed up uh, in various costumes. And I realized that there was a, a comics convention, C2E2, uh, that was going on in Chicago. And they were all waiting to get on a bus. Uh, one, at least one of our folks dressed up uh, and got into the whole uh, uh, the, the spirit of the convention. And I wondered, uh, showing my age a bit, did anyone dress up uh, like old school comics? Specifically, did anyone dress up like Charlie Brown or Snoopy? Uh, probably not. It's not necessarily known as cutting edge, but it's a Snoopy cartoon that I want to, or will be showing, and I'll put this up on the Podbean page too so that you can see it. <clears throat> there is a scene where uh, Charlie Brown and Linus uh, are going. It's a cold day, and they are approaching Snoopy. And Snoopy is there and can tell clearly that Snoopy is pretty cold. And so Charlie Brown and Linus go up to Snoopy, uh, and they say, Snoopy looks kind of cold, doesn't he? And then Linus responds, I'll say he does. Maybe we'd better go over and comfort him. And they both say to Snoopy, be of good cheer. Snoopy, yes, be of good cheer. And then they walk away. Snoopy has the little bubble with a question mark above his head, and he's still cold. They haven't done anything. 
And I think this is a really good way of encapsulating this whole notion of I'm sending my thoughts and prayers. And sometimes that may seem like it makes a difference, but other times, at least in this case, Snoopy is still cold. So we want to ask ourselves the question, what do we do after prayer? How are we acting? How are we actually doing something to make sure that the things that we desire, that we want God to be responding to, actually takes place? Well, as part of this sermon series, we're focusing on three different areas where we believe that we can actually do something in the next three weeks. Next week, we'll be talking about the environment and the focus that particularly uh, parts of our church uh, focuses on. In two weeks, we'll be focusing on homelessness and those experiencing homelessness and what we can do in that way. This week, we're focusing on hunger. And I want to look at that through a couple of different biblical lenses. First is the passage that I just read from the book of Ruth. Ruth is actually a lovely book of the Bible. If you ever think about uh, starting to reflect on the Older Testament in the Bible, Ruth is a really nice place to start. It's short, only four chapters. It's a story. Uh, There's some big biblical names in there, so you may trip over those. But uh, it's a really kind of wonderful uh, story of relationship and who God is in the midst of it. So we read at the very beginning, actually, the book of Ruth starts with tragedy. Chapter one begins, there's a man named Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. And then they have two sons. They live in Bethlehem. The city may sound familiar to you or Christians. Uh, So they are Israelites. But there's a famine in the land, and so they go to the country of Moab. Now, this probably was not easy. Moab was a country with kind of a negative history. I don't know if any of you ever grew up in a town where you either had a rivalry with a nearby town or there's a part of town where you say, well, we don't go to that part of town. It has a bad reputation. This is most likely what was happening in this time because people were saying, "Mm, don't hang out with the Moabites. Uh, It has a negative history, particularly with religious sexual apostasy. Moab actually was the name of the son of Lot, the biblical character Lot, and uh, Lot's daughter. So Moab was born out of an incestuous relationship. So even from the beginning, people were not big fans of the land of Moab. But Elimelech and his family needed to eat. So they go to Moab. But after a time, tragically, Elimelech dies. Naomi and her sons remain in Moab. The sons meet two nice Moabite girls, Orpah and Ruth. They fall in love, get married. Seems like things are okay. But then 10 years later, the sons die too. This is all in a matter of just a few verses at the beginning of the book of Ruth. So things are not looking good for these three women, especially in this time. They will receive little to no support. No one will be looking after them. So Naomi decides to go back to her home in Bethlehem. Naomi wants her daughters-in-law to stay in Moab. This is their home. Orpah finally does decide to stay in Moab, but Ruth wants to go with Naomi. And that brings us then to the beginning of uh, what we read today in chapter two, because as they go back or on their way back, they realize we need to eat. What are we going to do? So Naomi returns with Ruth. They come to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest, and that's where we pick up today's passage. So we see here that Ruth is gleaning, which means to pick up the leftover grain. So to give you a sense of what's going on in this in this passage, a biblical scholar named Kathleen Farmer summarizes it this way. So a part in the Bible, there's a book of the Bible called Leviticus, uh, Remember when I said earlier about going through the Old Testament, especially if you're brand new to it, I wouldn't necessarily, there's some really interesting things in Leviticus, but I wouldn't necessarily start there. 
But Leviticus is helpful to talk about and reflect on what are the laws that people are following at this time. So in Leviticus 19 and 23, uh, the laws forbade Israelite landowners to strip their fields completely clean as they harvested their crops. Uh, They were not saying, this is all just for you. Instead, they said to leave some behind. They were to leave both standing grain on the edges of the field and the grains that were accidentally missed during the harvesting, and they were to leave those for the poor or the resident alien who had no land of their own to cultivate. So in the laws is embedded this uh, desire and awareness that you are to take care of those who are often neglected in society at that time. So this is the context that Ruth and Naomi are going into. So they go into this and Ruth is beginning to glean, but this is a community that most likely was suspicious uh, about foreigners, especially women. Um, And so we get a sense here that Ruth has some challenges in front of her, has some hurdles, uh, not only because she's a woman, but did you notice the way that the author is talking about Ruth, that the author emphasizes that Ruth is a Moabite. Now, remember what I said about Moab and that people weren't thrilled with Moabites? Uh, The author of this wants to make that clear, that verse 2, it says, Ruth the Moabite. Uh, And already after Ruth has been introduced already, but the author of Ruth wants to make this clear one more time. And then later on, the servant, uh, after Elimelech goes to the chief servant, or as Boaz, sorry, as Boaz goes back to the chief servant and said, who is this woman? And the chief servant says, well, she's a Moabite, remember? She came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. So we see here the emphasis on, I don't know if this woman can be trusted. But Boaz responded with generosity. On the one hand, certainly he is keeping the Levitical law that says we are to keep some behind, even for the Moabites, even for a woman. But beyond that, Boaz was kind. He told Naomi not only would she have the food that she needed, but he guaranteed that she would be safe, her body would be safe, while doing what she needed to do to meet their hunger. So we have a really wonderful story here of generosity, of Boaz showing generosity toward one who is hungry. Not only that too, but beginning to break down um, societal barriers about how we treat the outcast, how we treat the foreigner, this Moabite woman. We see a response of generosity, physical generosity, saying this woman is to eat and drink and to be safe. So as we think about how do we respond to hunger in our midst, this is a passage that always strikes me, as is another passage from the book of Matthew. This comes from Matthew 25. It's a favorite among many because it begins as a story of judgment. Matthew 25, 31 through 46 begins as a separation of of people, and it's categorizes sheep and goats. Those who are on the king's right hand are blessed, and those on the left are accursed. So what's the deciding factor in this judgment? Verse 34 says this, Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then there are numerous things that those who are blessed have done. The king mentions, when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you gave me clothing. When I was sick, you took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me. But the very first thing that is mentioned is this. When I was hungry, you gave me food. 
Those who are blessed in this judgment are the ones who saw hunger and responded by feeding. There are no footnotes here. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about, well, how do we go about feeding the hungry? Especially we here in Chicago, according to the Feeding America's Map the Meal Gap study, one in seven people in Cook County will experience food insecurity this year. So what do you do with that? And so for me, I sometimes struggle. I go through that stereotypical analysis uh, or paralysis by analysis. But when I read this passage from Matthew, I notice that it doesn't, what it says and doesn't say. So when I think about what to, to do, I, I notice that there is nothing in there that says this. The passage doesn't say, I was hungry and you railed about it on social media. The passage doesn't say, I was hungry and you said a prayer. The passage does not say, I was hungry and you did a lot of research to see if you, could, if you should give food to someone on the street. The passage does not say, I was hungry and you checked interest on a tariff sheet that I want to volunteer. The passage doesn't say any of these things. The passage from Ruth says, Boaz didn't reflect on this before deciding about what to do about Ruth. It said he fed her. Matthew 25 says, I was hungry and you fed me. Because I think sometimes, at least for me anyway, I get in my head and I think about, yeah, I really should do something about that. One in seven people in Cook County experience food insecurity. I really should respond in some way. I got to get to that. I need to do some research before I do those things. I'm going to retweet this, uh, this, uh, tw- this tweet from Feeding America about the tragedy of uh, what's going on in our country. And all these things are not bad by any means. We should do that. I, but then I realize, am I actually following what is said here? Am I following in Boaz's footsteps? Am I doing what is called here when I see someone who's hungry and I give them food? And I hear stories from those in our midst at our church about people who are actually doing this. A man named Evan talked about a time when he saw somebody there on the street and took them in to McDonald's and bought them a meal and had a really wonderful conversation a woman named Jenna in our site talks about the same kind of thing where she saw someone and then went inside to the restaurant to buy them a meal. I've told this story before, I think, but a couple, three years ago, I was at the Chicago Cultural Center. This was a Saturday morning and I was there with my son and it was a Saturday morning. And so I uh, didn't really bother to wear. I think I had my sweats on and uh, had a bell cap on. And I can't remember why we were there, but my son and I were waiting uh, in this big uh, lobby area at the Chicago Cultural Center. And I noticed there on that day that there was some food that was being set up. And I'd never noticed this uh, before or this happening at the Chicago Cultural Center. And I realized that some organization was uh, setting up a meal uh, or a buffet for those who were hungry. I didn't know the particulars of it, but I noticed it out of the corner of my eye. So I'm sitting there with Ethan, and then before the line starts, this person comes over to me, and I'm making some judgments here. I'm assuming probably that either the person is experiencing homelessness or is having a tough time, and they noticed me. And the person gave me the plate and said, do you and your son need something to eat? This person who probably, I'm assuming, was very hungry himself, but I have no idea what their faith life's like. He saw me, thought maybe I needed something to eat or that my son needed something to eat. You saw that I was hungry 
and you gave me food. I see experience examples in my life, and then it convicts me. I have no answers for you today about what is the right way to respond to this call <clears throat> to follow in Boaz's footsteps. This is perhaps a question for us as a as a church and for you who are not a part of a church, but for you individually to really think about how will you follow this command from God? How will you follow this example from Boaz? When you see someone who is hungry, physically, maybe spiritually, will you give them food? You know, at our site in particular, uh, every month we volunteer uh, at a ministry in the South Loop where people are, uh, there's a meal that the Inclusive Collective, which is a campus ministry at the University of Illinois at Chicago that they help organize. And the second Sunday of the month, we volunteer to bring dessert uh, for folks who are there at the meal. And, you know, friends, every month, Jenna, who is the person who organizes this, has to send out an email saying we really need people to help out this month. I mean, it really happens almost every month. There's a long list of people who have expressed an interest in this and every month. And am I saying this to maybe stoke a little guilt in you? Yes, I am. Sometimes a little bit of guilt is not a bad thing. We can talk all we want about it's awful that people go hungry. I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to research it. I'm going to do all things. That's all great. We we should do those things. But then the question, what will you do about it? If you see someone who's hungry, will you give them a PB&J sandwich? If you see, will you gather others around you to think about, you know, next month I'm going to help provide a dessert and go and have a meal with those who are hungry? How will you respond beyond thoughts and prayers? That's our call, friends. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And today is a really good day for you to start. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, as always, you can reach out to me, uh, Chris at urbanvillagechurch.org, or you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Christian Kuhn. You can go to my website, christiankuhn.com. There is my other podcast, Failing Boldly, where I have conversations with folks about failure, perseverance, and resilience. And so you can learn more about uh, me and my book and podcast uh, in that place. Uh, I'll be back next week, two in a row. Hard to believe. Uh, but I'm looking forward to sharing more uh, about in this sermon series. And until that time, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. And thou, my true word, I ever